0: Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs
1: share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass.
0: Make sure you take notes. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups and my guest today is Angie Brown. Angie, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Kevin.
0: I would love for you to just take a moment and just share a little bit about yourself with our listeners.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I French,
0: grew-
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll do a, a take two of okay. everything in French. Um, I, I grew up in Indianapolis and uh, I went to Butler and um, studied French and international politics. And I was going to be an ambassador in the U.N. and all that jazz. And after undergrad, I, um, I taught in France for a little while. I taught English and realized that, you know, I'm, I might want to expand my skill set a little more. Teaching was not my thing. Right. Um, the hardest job I've probably ever had. And I have a huge respect for teachers. Um, So I decided to come back to the States and pursue my MBA, which is master's of business administration. And you did that where? I did that um, at Portland state Mm -hmm. and um, the Portland connection. Hence the Portland connection. I moved to Portland for my MBA and have decided to stick around because I really, really like it here.
0: So walk us through, I mean, did you go and get your MBA with the idea that you were going to start something or were you working for another company? you plan on just, you know, stepping into the corporate world? What was the plan?
1: I don't think there was a super clear plan. I just felt very unprepared for life. And I felt like uh, business school would give me a lot of diversity and skills. Um, I really... Uh, was interested in the idea of entrepreneurship. My father's an entrepreneur, and he's always been a big inspiration for me. Um, so I wanted to go to to get my MBA with like a focus in entrepreneurship and pursue that. Um, but I, I was very open to like other ideas. Life never ends up the way I plan. So I, I stopped planning a lot of times. <laughs>
0: It's almost like it, in some ways you, you just kind of take that step and just kind of react to wherever the, whatever the environment opens up in, in front of you. So, yeah. so you graduated with your MBA, you just wake up the next morning and you just start this company called Bavar. Is that, I mean, is that as clear as the path was? Okay.
1: All right, there you go. Um, so it wasn't quite how that worked. Uh, COVID happened, and we went into lockdown, and I flew back to Utah, or I drove to Utah um, to stay with family during the first shutdown and finish my MBA online. And uh, during that time, my brother, David, had been working on this side project. Um, He had been taking an online course at Stanford, I believe, um, all about automation and machine learning methodologies. And he was super stoked on AI. Um, And he had been developing a chatbot platform in his spare time for fun. And I was was finishing up business school and I wasn't really sure what the next step would be, especially with COVID and kind of everything being a lot different than what I had expected. Um, So we started putting our heads together and talking to my father, who's an entrepreneur. Um, and we felt like we had a lot of potential, um, especially us as a team. And uh, we kind of just like pulled the trigger. We're like, we're gonna spend the next at least two years trying to make this into something successful.
0: And this was approximately a year ago that you were kind of that time frame that you're talking about?
1: Yeah, so I guess COVID happened in March. I drove home and maybe like, within a month or two, we were working on Bavard. So we're we're not, I don't think we're quite at a a year, but we're getting close.
0: So you said he was working kind of doing, doing AI, maybe chatbot, just kind of stuff. Was it, was it designed for a specific purpose or was he just kind of experimenting in that kind of that space?
1: Dave is a software engineer and I think he had wanted to improve his machine learning engineering skills. Um, so yeah, he, he he was kind of working on on cr- creating like the backend side of of a chatbot.
0: Now, are these chatbots are these embedded in websites? Are they? I mean, do you use them in social media? What's what's kind of the target market of, of Bavard? And and I mean, you can actually talk about how how Bovard was even born. You know, in that same same vein.
1: Um, yeah, absolutely. So I'll answer the first question first. Um, we, uh, can deploy our widget, um, or a, a chatbot widget that is customized to you on any web, pl- web-based, uh, platform. So typically it's a website, um, could be a web app as well. Wow. Um, and, and then in terms of like how we had decided to kind of go this route, um, I think we had had a lot of different like whiteboarding sessions in which we were trying to decide like did we want to be like more internally focused for companies or externally focused and and deal with the customer support side of things um and doing like a bunch of market research and kind of like putting my MBA skills to to use finally um I felt we felt like the biggest demand was in the customer support analytics side of things. And so that's where we decided to focus.
0: See, you're getting so good. Now you're, you're preempting my questions. I, I was about to ask you the question and you answered it before I had a chance to ask that, you know, I was, I was thinking, is this like, you know, top of funnel, you know, the kind of entry into the pipe sales pipeline, is this customer service based? Is it, can it, you know, serve, virtually any of those environments is there a specific niche that you are are trying to like capture with this chatbot
1: i think we at our mvp as it is now um works really well for customer support cases um as we grow and 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 add features um the the sales funnel side of things will be probably the next logical step mm-hmm. and um like, for example, becoming integrated with Shopify and a lot right. giving the um, the ability to mine the website and uh, take in information about what the user has been looking at and then make suggestions based off of that information.
0: So this creepy little voice that goes, hey, I see you've been looking at shoes. How about I, I put some shoes and it's like it's like Alexa is listening, you know, in, in my apartment or something. So. Uh, I I mean, I I really do. I I think this is just a fascinating field. I mean, how, how incredibly intuitive this stuff is to me, and especially a person that doesn't understand it very well. But so why did you choose the, I'm, I'm curious, why did you choose kind of the customer support side versus the sales side? Was one easier to design for than the other, or is that just the, the, the pain point that you first recognized?
1: It's, that was the pain point that we first recognized, um, I think with COVID happening simultaneously, we were noticing all of these local businesses that were trying to transition to to a more like a digital uh, right. platform and really struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, but we all saw how many businesses struggled. And so that was, that kind of triggered the potentiality for a chatbot to be able to solve some of those issues. Um,
0: so, dude, when you're talking to business owners and you're kind of introducing the idea to them, is there a pretty steep learning curve, or do people generally get it, you know, pretty early? I mean, or does it like it, I'm sure it would depend on who you're talking to, but I mean, is there a certain age demographic that that you know you're aiming at? Is there a certain industry? Is this a service industry? Is this a product, you know, based, you know, solution? I mean, what? What exactly? I mean, if you're if you're trying to find kind of the low hanging fruit out there for for this service, who are you aiming at primarily?
1: Um, I think our, our target market right now would be like other medium sized tech companies, probably with with a similar SaaS product, um, mostly because they 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 do they understand um, our industry, they understand the application. And they have a ton of customer support mm-hmm. expense and yep. uh, time commitment that they're spending, and uh, so usually those conversations happen really easily. Um, and then in terms of like we we've we've you know ha- had some beta customers who were in a more e-commerce space um, and selling product, and I feel like the learning curve for them was just a little bit a little bit more steep. and and you know what what like some widget on their website would help them sell product or would help them you know handle uh customers asking about you know a late order or whatever uh and the way that we've kind of solved that is by doing custom demos for customer especially at the beginning right now and letting them see those use cases in action Mm -hmm. and how much they can like delight and intrigue a customer by by giving instantaneous responses or connecting them very quickly to the correct support agent. Right. Whatever that scenario is.
0: Now is the is the intent to replace kind of the lowest entry customer support level or function of a company? Or is it to, like you said, to kind of augment that and and really specifically target you know, a, a quicker solution, maybe on the back end, or, um, I mean, is is this, if, if it is a kind of a customer service, kind of customer solution, you know, um, environment that you've created. So I'm thinking call center, you know, yeah. initial call center, you get all these inbound calls, you know, 80% of the, of the questions that frontline may be able to answer, you know, only 20 have to be escalated or whatever. So is that kind of the, the idea behind this bot, or is it, is it a lot more intuitive than that?
1: Um, I, I think it's the latter. Um, I wouldn't say that we would totally replace a, a, a specific person within a company, um, although there is the potential for that mm-hmm. if that's what the customer wanted. Um, I think it, it, having a widget and being able to, to more quickly qualify the problem that a user is having, and if they need to talk to a human, getting them to the correct person really quickly, it'll it'll just create a lot more efficiency in the process. And uh, you know, nine times out of ten, these call centers or a customer support agent is answering the same question over and over, right. and it's their time. Right. Whereas they could be, you know, following up with some other. Sales opportunity, whatever right. that is, sure, um, and we can allow allow the, the 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 end customer to answer that to have an answer to that question without waiting for an email response, right. or-
0: and, you know, your bot never sleeps, your bot's never sick, your bot, <laughs> they there's no maternity leave, there's no family leave, there's no nothing, I mean, there's nothing. I mean, it's, it is on 24 seven. And is it, ha, have we advanced to the point that people can, they cannot differentiate between a bot and somebody physically, you know, on the other side, physically chatting with them?
1: When, when I go back and we, we have access to the old conversations that have happened, you know, with our widget on our website, and like a, a lot of times people are asking, like, are you a human or something? <laughs> uh,
0: that doesn't surprise <laughs> me at all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I think it's because um, our our clients, the, the businesses, they can customize the widget however they want to have a certain tone, you know, mm-hmm. add emojis add you know flair. um or they can and some of them choose to say hi I'm, I'm jennifer yeah like i'm like here to help you today and some choose to be like you know hi i'm a chat bot right uh, but yeah there it is kind of funny how that works they're getting super realistic
0: see I'm, I'm a little mischievous when i feel like i'm talking to a bot i'll ask it questions that i think it won't be able to answer like, is it raining there? <laughs> Tell me what the weather outside right now where you're sitting you know, or something like that. So I, but uh, it, it is amazing to me, just the, the whole AI space. And I mean, it's, it is ubiquitous. I mean, it's in so many different, you know, I, the internet of things, you know, just the whole idea of, of the, the unlimited potential, almost in some ways, almost scary potential. Of of what it could become, and I, I watch the sci-fi movies like everybody else about the you know the AI taking over and you know somehow learning to learn you know the whole idea that it can learn to learn. So tell me, go, let's go back to like day one. You know, you said that you you whiteboarded the idea. You okay? Everybody agrees. Your is your sister-in-law that, that gave you the the idea for the name of the of the company. It's you said it was it was the French word for chat. Right, and could you say yeah. that in in your most beautiful French accent?
1: The verb is bavarder, and uh, the the what is it called when you when you adjust a verb? You know, I am, you are, conj- yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I <laughs> jack- no, I know
0: exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's parsing maybe, or it's uh, yeah, yes. Exactly. <laughs> So the verb form is 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 bavard it it just means to chat. Yes. Okay. So like je means I chat. Yeah. So that now the the idea of chat and so you get the name you're sitting there you you've wiped off the whiteboard cuz everybody's agreed that this is the great way to go. What does day 1 look like when you launch your company?
1: For me, it was a lot of legal steps and me figuring out what it takes to incorporate, what it takes to set up a stock option plan. Uh, it was a you ton the of paper. dreams.
0: If day one you're talking about a stock option plan already,
1: well, you have to be prepared.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you sure you don't have a legal background instead of <laughs> MBA? <laughs> you didn't tell us you went to law school too. Somewhere in there, right?
1: I did not. Not I did. yet. I- that would have been helpful. Um, <laughs> and I think we were immediately trying to recruit a machine learning engineer because we knew that that was how we wanted to differentiate ourselves. There are right. other companies; they're they're doing pretty well, but there are none, in our opinion, with super super strong um AI.
0: Mm-hmm. So you you hired so is this uh i mean with the just your idea did you kind of go through uh did you bootstrap this did you go through like we're going to want to raise a little money on the front end kind of like what well, they say the three Fs, friends family and and i don't like the third F, fools but uh, did you, know, do you did you raise that initial amount of money and said okay we need we need kind of a runway for 18 months or we need our 24 month runway or whatever or, or did you just like you know go in the other room and go uh, dad um, <laughs> dad entrepreneur maybe maybe we need a little little check here to kind of get us kick started. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh no, ba- basically we we bootstrapped um our family friends and fools were ve- were very generous. Um and we kind of estimated a, a rough burn rate that we expected and how how long we wanted to be able to go before we needed to to Connect with venture capital firms, um which we're kind of starting to do now, and it's hell wow. <laughs> um, but uh yeah, um our family and friends um helped us out a lot. We put in a, a bit of our our own savings um and then and that has got us through until now luckily
0: i've I've heard it's easier to raise money if you have a little bit of your own money in the game if if people will say, well, if you're willing to put your own money here. Then I'm I'm a little more willing to to kind of take this ride with you. Did you find that to be true?
1: Yeah, I think it comes off as so much more genuine. Is it? I mean, maybe you're not in the place to be able to do that, and that's totally understandable. But if you are, and and you're asking other people to take right. that risk, I would hope that you would be willing to take that risk and, and and yeah, show a little bit of trust and confidence in yourself, and then they'll see that too.
0: So you said that you haven't even been operating for 12 months yet, and you've gone from, we just found a name, we wiped off the whiteboard, we launched, and you're already talking about venture capital. I mean, that, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty substantial shift in the last, say, 10 months. I mean, what's, what's been the growth rate? I mean, you must, have had, you must have had tremendous response to be having those conversations already, or you are just one optimistic entrepreneur.
1: Maybe it's a bit of both
0: yeah, or maybe you're both. That's right.
1: and I don't mean to, to, to miscommunicate and say that we have venture capital, you know, ready to go. We are back. Uh, we're just kind of beginning the process and getting yeah. our, foot in the course, uh, um, mostly just to figure out like, what, what is that world? Like, right. what does it take? Like? We've had a few interviews, gotten some feedback, really helpful feedback mm-hmm. about how we can be more attractive to VC funds. Um, and and we're trying to use that and apply now before we really need that support. Right. Um, I would say I, I, I I'm new to tech. I'm new to SaaS, so I don't I don't know what a typical first year is like and how much response we you know should be getting. Um, but we've gotten initially we had a a bunch of beta users and we're working with, you know, initial clients now. And our, our product is, was kind of just recently like ready for Mm -hmm. ready, ugly. Yeah. Yeah. um, for use actual
0: MVP in use.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, so considering that I, I feel pretty confident about where we are and we're working with, um, a sales development firm. We decided to to third party, third party that out. And, uh, they've been really instrumental in helping us ramp up.
0: And do most of those, those firms that you, you kind of contract with to kind of build your sales pipeline or whatever, do they work on like a percentage of revenue basis or is it a, we got to throw in money up front and just hope that they're successful or is it some combination of their, of those two?
1: Um, this one is the is money up front. It's um, a set fee for a certain amount of time with a sales development representative. And I think it, it goes based on a month or you can do like three months or six months mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, I'm not sure if, if they have different plans for different size companies, but I'm sure when they're working with like a tiny startup, they're probably a little too risk averse to be yes. like, yeah, hey,
0: yeah. But I mean, startups, it's, it's like a catch 22 situation. I mean, the startups are like, well, we don't have the cash to pay you. Well, we, we don't want to take the risk of, on you because you're a startup. So it's, it's almost like venture capital. I mean, it seems like to me that oftentimes venture capital firms want to wait until you have, you know, a substantial growth curve going. And then they're, it's almost like they're throwing fuel on the fire, so to speak. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, their earlier stage are their angel investors, are there, you know? early stage, you know, founders that just like to take a chance and hope that this is a mini unicorn, you know, that might, that might just take off in in one day. So it's, it's interesting. What, what's the, one of the main things you think you've learned by talking to these VC firms that that you just did not know beforehand?
1: Did not know. Probably that, that, that a, within like the first year is is too early. <laughs> they're, they're gonna be like, nah.
0: <laughs> Does it depend on the firm you're talking to? I mean, like a lot of the VC firms that I've, I've at least, you know, I've talked to a lot of founders and they the ones that talked to VC firms said, you know, we don't even look at a company until it's hitting 10 million. We literally don't even look at a company. We don't look at a company until it's 50 million. We don't look at it. I'm thinking, my gosh, how many companies would you never look at? That are you know the, I would view as pretty successful, you know you have such a high bar to entry and and these are not the major you know firms that you know have funded Apple and Tesla and things like that. I mean, it's interesting to to kind of hear that them in that world you know that there's you know it's a it is a high bar to enter you know, to get in these firms. And maybe you have to start it with, with smaller firms, more startup venture, you know, funds or something like that. But have, is it, has it been a little bit like Shark Tank? You know, you, you're, 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 you made your pitch to them and they're like just ripping it apart and you kind of skulk back out of the building. You feel like, you know, I just got beaten up.
1: There was one that was definitely like that. This guy just tore us to shreds and I, <laughs> And I just disagreed with him so deeply, and I like wanted to like you know lash out um, and get very defensive, but it doesn't help. Um, and but other the other, there was two others that were on were very supportive, and um, they were like, maybe come back in a couple months when you've done X Y Z or whatever. Yeah. Send this information, and, we, and we'll consider you for our next fund or da da da. Um, so I think you're right. Like there's there's funds that are that are clearly focused on different things. Some are super early stage seed, mm-hmm. some are a little bit later stage. And so you definitely need to filter a bit and right. decide which might have the most potential for you.
0: Are you looking for a firm that is going to be real hands-on or are you, are you saying, you know, actually we've kind of figured out the the business side of things. We really just need kind of the the, the, the gasoline to pour on the fire here. You know, we need, we need capital just to be able to scale. We need capital to be able to hire the right people to be able to, you know, to grow and, and, you know, the things that we know need to be done or are you really looking for somebody that is a kind of a SaaS or like a, yeah, a, a SaaS venture capital firm that's done this before in a similar space, knows things we don't, um, could really add expertise, serve on an advisory board, that type of thing.
1: um personally i would I would welcome um, in- input and feedback and support in whatever form that comes. I think there's a lot more that can be given to us than money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah And me and my co-founder, we've never done this before. And we're learning, and we're super passionate, and that helps, but you know, uh, there is a certain amount of ignorance that we are having to overcome. and we have tried to be good about reaching out to to people who have no interest in in investing, but have some time on their hands that they yeah. can advise. Uh, and that's amazing. It's like such such a blessing. Um, so in terms of like a venture capital firm investing in us. I think there's a difference between you know being involved and offering advice to 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 trying to take a little bit too much ownership over decision making right. yep. not trusting that. Right. We our business we we are experts in this now. Mm-hmm. We be an expert in you know business as a whole but we're we're an expert at, at chatbots right. and the trusting us to a certain extent.
0: I mean that that is a delicate dance. I mean between yeah having somebody that you can can offer you expertise and offer you real guidance and things like that versus you know feeling like actually my my money's on the line here so i'm going to drive this thing i'm going to drive it through you you know type type thing and that's a that's a, a, and could be a very unhealthy relationship you know the for a venture capital firm to come in and and really because you would almost feel like you're always fighting like against the dna that we wanted to instill in the company you know that they're they're not in, they're not tracking with our vision or whatever. So it, it's really interesting to kind of hear, and I didn't mean to just take all this time to drill down on your VC, you know, experience. But it, to me, that's very interesting that, you know, the, especially an early stage founder, like you've gone through this, you've had some, you know, some knocks, you you've learned some lessons. And I mean, I, I would imagine every time you pitch, it's getting, it's getting better and better too.
1: It is. I do. I am like proud of myself (laughs) because, because that's, that's not necessarily a skill for me. It it doesn't, it's not innate, Um, but it's gotten better.
0: And I'm sure you're getting like maybe more focused feedback too. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, it's not this general, like guys, you know, you're kind of wasting our time here, you know, or versus, you know, hey, if in three months, if you've met these, you know, key metrics or whatever, we're we're ready to roll. So I mean, that would be very encouraging though for a VC firm to say, you know, check back in two months, check back in three months. I mean, I thought they're gonna say check back in five years when you've, you know, 10x to where you are today or or something like that. So we're not gonna need you then. You know, we need you now you know, the the whole idea, but go back to your, kind of your first business plan. I mean, I don't know if it's on an Excel spreadsheet or written on a post-it note or, or however you, you did it initially, how have you tracked, you know, in comparison to what you thought you were going to do in the first 10 months?
1: I need to, I need to go back. I, I know I have a document that, that listed out our goals for the first year one. I don't think we expected to have any paying customers year one. Um, and we were hoping that by year two, we'd have 30. I, f- I feel like that's, that was our goal just based on just based on the pricing and the market and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think we we've matched up pretty accurately to what we expected. I think the thing that, that, um, held us back the most was recruiting. Hmm. And like, it, it's a bottleneck. Yeah. Um, we wanted to have, out yeah, a lot earlier than, you know, 10, 11 months. All right. But we couldn't just based on uh, employees and people and developers and things take time. Um, but thankfully now we finally has have like a, a, a really solid team and I'm really happy about it. But it took a long time to find people who were willing to take the risk of, you know, coming on to a yeah. startup, their secure yep. job at Google or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's risky. And I, I respect them for coming. Um, yeah.
0: So you, I mean, I've heard that it's like, you know, hire slow, fire fast. Have you had to experience that even in your first you know, 10 or 11 months, like we hired this, this rock star on paper and he gets there, she gets here. And there's like, Oh my gosh, what did we do?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, as kind, of, I've, I've been working on more of like the business administrative side of things. Mm-hmm. And then David, Mike, the co-founder, he's been our tech guy and he is way less patient and, and you know, understanding of like, there's an onboarding process and people take time to ramp yeah. up. And if, the, if they are what you want them to be within week one, that's not necessarily the end of the world. Um, but yeah, we definitely had uh, like maybe five or six months ago, we were working with some developers and it would be like, I'd get a Slack message from David and be like, Angie, like this is over. Like you need to l- let him go. And find someone. <laughs> <laughs> And it's, it is always like a give and take with me and him. I'm like, let's talk to him first. Let's discuss expectations and see if he can make those changes or if she can make those changes. Yeah. And everybody will be happy. Um, it's a learning curve. I've never managed before. It's hard.
0: Hey, you know, everything's a learning curve. I mean, you're first, every, there's a first time for everything. I mean, you, you've got to start somewhere in every in every discipline. And so I, I'm i curious, have you found it more difficult or has it worked really well to, for you and like your co-founder to be in two different places? I, I I'm assuming he's not in Portland, right?
1: No, he's in, he's in um, Utah. Yeah, okay. I, That's what I thought. I visit every two to three months mm-hmm. and we always get a lot out of those times together. Um, I feel like we just, it gives us a chance to get back on the same page, to make plans, to so I reconnect, um. But honestly, things remote. Our entire team is remote. It's yeah, been- that's
0: what I was gonna say. You you probably don't have your team sitting in an office somewhere. So yeah, the fact that I just I mean it is a new world. I mean, post COVID has has I mean, and the the IT world was was in a in a completely different space. You know, it probably adjusted the the best to you know to the COVID pandemic. You know, versus any other industry, but. Um, do you, I'm assuming you don't ever see a, a point that you would need to be centralized.
1: I, I don't, I don't think so. Unless we got really big and, mm-hmm. and, and our employees were asking for something like yeah. that. You know, they were like sick of working at home. They liked the social, the social aspect of, of an office space. That would be a totally different story. Um, but as long as, you know, we are staying connected and, and doing our little scrums over Slack and, Mm -hmm. and and it's worked really well. Like just yesterday we had a design meeting where it's like for an hour or two, we were, it was like the whole team and we were just spitballing ideas. And afterwards I got a Slack message from a few of them saying that was super fun. I felt really good about that. And yeah, right now it's working and I want to continue it like that.
0: Now, the majority of people on your team, are they in the States or are they all over the world? They're in the States. But that makes it a little easier time-wise. I mean, you don't have to be kind of asynchronous across the, the planet. You know, people in you know far East that are, are going, you know, hey, they're, they're asleep when you're awake and vice versa, when you're trying to, to match schedules and chat over over Slack or whatever.
1: Yeah, I actually just realized that I lied. My my co-founder is currently in France. His wife is French and she's having her baby. Um, and she wanted to be home in France for that. Yeah. So they're in France for the next three months. So we're actually adjusting to all those <laughs> things we talked about. Uh and yeah, it's kind of freaks me out because it's mm-hmm. not be very straightforward, but we'll figure it out.
0: And you're on the West Coast too, so you 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 can add two or three hours to that difference as well. <laughs> So his day is ending when your day is beginning. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go back to like the 12 months ago. What are what's one thing that or maybe two things that you think, man, I wish I would have known this 12 months ago. This would have made my life so much easier as a co-founder of a SaaS startup.
1: 12 months ago, um I first I first, we first decided to, um, to form uh, an LLC that was going to be our legal state, whatever. Um, and then when we were talking to our advisors and discussing our ultimate goals and how we wanted to be able to share ownership of the company with our employees, we were like, oh crap, that was Mm -hmm. the wrong thing. And you would think it'd be no big deal. You just dissolve the LLC and you start over, but it (laughs) it was such a hassle. Um, we couldn't get our, a new employee, uh, employee identification number for months. Uh, and the IRS was like overflowed with, with like COVID requests and Mm -hmm. like people, you know, they were busy. And so it was, it was like really difficult to legally do business. (laughs)
0: That's incredible. I mean, so do you form an S-corp? What did, what was, what did you end up forming? A C-corp. Okay. So like when I started my LLC, I got my tax identification number like in 24 hours or 48 hours. I'm thinking this is really simple. You know,
1: we did for the LLC, but then you can't use it again. Like you can't use it.
0: Right. So you had to dissolve one to start the other because it was the same name or could you have started, you could just started the, the C Corp and then close the, the LLC later if it was a different business name or a business entity?
1: Maybe. I, I didn't know any better and I probably did it all wrong.
0: Hey, I'm not asking you the question. Like I know, I, I, I just, yeah, I, I don't know the right answer. <laughs> so,
1: I, I don't either. And I didn't at the time. And I probably could have consulted a lawyer.
0: <laughs> Legal Zoom can only take you so far. <laughs> That's <right. laughs> Or watching a YouTube video on how to, how to set up a corporation it can only take you so far. Yeah, those, those are lessons we've all learned. Absolutely. Yeah. have all learned. So Man, I, this is this has been great. I I love to hear the the story and how you know early stage you guys are and what you've seen you know happen in a very short period of time. What's what's one thing that if you want to kind of close us out with? One thing we haven't touched on that that you would really like to share with our audience?
1: I don't know why this is on the in my head, but work. It's surprisingly fun to work with your brother.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he would be thrilled to hear that. Yeah. Because nine out of ten, they would go. Don't ever start a business with family. <laughs> it could yeah. really be difficult. I mean, obviously, you guys had to have a pretty good relationship before you started the business. Because, I mean, if this is this is tough. I mean, starting a business is it's uh, it's going to keep you up later. It's going to take you longer. It's going to cost you more money. It's going to give you more heartache and headache than than you anticipated. But, you know, at the end, the nice thing about it is I, I was listening to another podcast this morning about you know, the, I, the, what's the definition of an entrepreneur is you work 80 hours for yourself. So you don't have to work 40 hours for somebody else. And, but the, the, the but I wouldn't trade it for anything because I like the freedom of working for myself. I and mean, you experienced that.
1: The freedoms were really nice. Uh, I get people telling me all the time that they're so envious of, yeah. of how I work and how just the flexibility that I have to kind of make my own schedule uh i i work when i want i mean, obviously i have to work a lot yeah it just, yeah but i can also adjust it um the flexibility is nice the responsibility is is soul crushing yeah I, that's maybe that's personality i i care deeply for my employees i mm-hmm. want to make sure they're secure um and so every day i'm like oh my god we have to be successful we need to keep their jobs <laughs> um so the, I'd say that's like the downside.
0: So where do you think you're going to be in say three years? What's the what's the projection for for Bavad?
1: Oh, I think our like somewhere on a Slack channel we we wrote we're going to be the number one best selling chatbot platform <laughs> with the best NLP, the best AI. Uh, that's the goal. That's, you don't have that- like
0: numbers of. Numbers of clients. You don't have like uh, revenue numbers. Uh,
1: I don't think I pre- I'm prepared to share that information. I think it was.
0: You're afraid I'm going to record it, and then three years from now we're going to go. Remember when you said you were going to do this? And hey, I, of- I think you're going to surprise us. I think you're going. To, you you probably underestimated what you can you can accomplish in the next three years. And. And, uh, I mean, it sounds like that you all have, have such a great start, such a great foundation that you've, you've laid, you've got a good team in place. And the fact that, I mean, we're headed in this direction, we're not moving away from it. So, I mean, what a time to, to be in this space, you know, and, and to just to see just the quantum changes that are happening in this space, even like every month. Month on month, you know, not we're not talking about years anymore. We're that it has moved up, that the timetable has moved up, and it's it's just rapidly changing. But um, I'm anxious to see your your journey and and to see what uh, you guys pull off, and and uh, one day maybe ringing that bell on New York Stock Exchange, and and uh, we will certainly see what what the IPO looks like in about five years, and those venture capitals that threw you out early, they're going to go. What were we thinking? We should have jumped on this rocket ship.
1: That'd be amazing.
0: That would be amazing. It'd be amazing. Well, Angie, really appreciate you taking the time today and just, just sharing the story of Bavard with our listeners and, and just sharing your personal story and just hearing, you know, the things that, uh, and just, you know, how, how real and raw you've been with, you know, the the failures and the, and the successes and, and everything in between, and really just playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Angie, thanks again.
1: Thanks. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.